0: Success.
1: Eyes that mock our sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them in a bygone day.
0: Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is the desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in it. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains
1: all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of
0: course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill Hey there peeps, this is Michelle Nedeluk and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with the most amazing Marie Elizabeth. Thank you for
1: being here with us today. Thank you, I'm so glad (laughs) to be here. I was like, so enjoying your introduction, I kind of spaced out for a sec. (laughs) So give them
0: the 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do.
1: Well, I love to work with high powered women on creating more loving and connected relationships even as they go out and rock what they're here to do in the world. I also love underwater photography. I'm a huge shark fan, and I also write poetry. Nice. Love that. Well, we will talk about hypnotizing
0: sharks later. But in the meanwhile, let's talk about business and what it really means to kind of empower oneself fully in order to be more successful at business because that to me is a fascination of mine because for so many years people have thought if I just repress myself and act like everybody else I will be successful like them and that philosophy drives me insane so I'm hoping that you're I'm preaching to the choir but if I'm not hey we're gonna have some great debates
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you are totally preaching to the choir and I think the same is true in relationship uh where the more you you become Mm -hmm the more, and this is true for relationship and business, the more people can feel you and that's how they know if they resonate with you or not. And mm-hmm. I feel like this epidemic that we experience of imposter syndrome, which I don't necessarily see as a bad thing because I feel like we hit imposter syndrome when we're stretching ourselves and when we're expanding. But the one of the best ways to overcome imposter syndrome is to be yourself And then when you, you can trust what's coming toward you, whether it's through your business or through your personal life, you can trust that the people who come toward you really want you for you, you know, imposter syndrome is a symptom of not totally being yourself. And you know, you're out there faking it. You know, you're out there trying to be like everybody else and and do it some way that you were taught. So of course you have imposter syndrome because you're literally an imposter
0: you're trying to be somebody or not and that's just not fun on any I mean, level. and i had
1: to get over that especially around business i was raised to uh to be very professional you know and i, I put that in quotes because it's sort of like i just was raised in a, in a high-powered environment where being professional meant that you looked the part you wore the suit you spoke appropriately you and and i have all the education that allows me to do that But I found that there was a kind of aloofness when I would go into business mode that then would be a barrier. Mm -hmm. And so I had to dismantle all that. And funny enough, I had to dismantle that in my personal life, too, to have the relationship I really wanted uh, to just be more approachable and more feelable.
0: Nice. I love all of those things. And I have so many stories to tell, but I don't want my stories. I want your stories. So okay, let's back up the bus a little bit. And how did you get into this, per se, like the relationship side of things?
1: Well, I've always had a really clear channel when it's come to my work. I've been self employed since 1992, and I've been working with clients in a healing capacity since 1990. And you know, if if I if I wanted to, this is like in my 20s, if I wanted to go on a trip, for example, the following week, all of a sudden clients would come out of the woodwork and somehow magically the ticket would be paid for. Like, it's just a place that's flowed well for me. But the thing that didn't flow as well for me was my relationships. And I, I've i always had basically good relationships but they would kind of deteriorate over time you know you'd have that heady flush at the beginning and then it would sort of deteriorate over time and get mired in resentment mostly they'd get jealous because of how much love i'd pour into my work and so i I tended to be with uh i'm I'm heterosexual so i'm saying men but uh I, i tended to be with men who um wanted more from me which I understood I mean at the time I thought what's wrong with you like get up get a life you know but now I realized that they were actually pointing at, at an imbalance that I learned from my father who was a doctor he was a medical doctor he loved his patients he worked like 12 hours a day poured all his love into them and we kind of got the dregs. and so I internalized that I mean bless him he was also a great father I'm not saying he wasn't but there was a kind of energetic mismatch that I learned as how you do it. Mm -hmm. So I had to dismantle all that to now have the relationship I have. And, And it's something I still struggle with. I can still fall into overwork because I'm passionate. It's not always pathological. It's like, I love what I do. I love the impact. I love watching the light come on in someone's eyes. When I see a pattern that's been limiting them in love or business or wherever, and they get free from it, that's the best thing ever. And I've also learned that if I prioritize my relationship, if I prioritize it feeling juicy and loving, and I have time for it, my business goes better. So when I I started to learn that, I thought, you know what? I cannot be alone in this situation. I'm sure that there are other women who love their work and who are super passionate and haven't quite figured out how to bridge that passion and that open channel of creativity over there, over here at home. And I wanna help people bridge that. So I got super excited as my relationships improved with the in-depth work that I did to figure out why they weren't working and how to make them work, that I transitioned my coaching work to focus on that because I had to learn the hard way. That makes me good at it.
0: (laughs) That was awesome. So talk to me about how you feel that the separation between work and relationships, because I know a lot of people think this is my work, this is how I act. I'm in this box, I'm in the proverbial blue suit, red tie, and then I come home and I get to be in the, yeah, tank top and thongs, depending on what you like to wear when you go home. I don't care. Um, like, how do people? Is it okay to be the same person all the time? Are we always going to have some degree of chameleon-ness going on? If we do, how do we separate them? That was 28 questions, start wherever you want.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I'm gonna start with a both and, because on the one hand, how we show up at church, if we go to church or with our mom, is not how we show up with our lover, we hope. <laughs> like ideally. right? I mean, or at least to some degree not.: At least to some degree. However, yeah. there's a truth to bringing I, I like supporting people in expanding into more aspects of their true self. So the more access you have to the more of you, then you can be choosy and calibrate. I, I, I love this idea of calibration over chameleon because chameleon implies that you're becoming something else to fit the situation that you're disappearing you know chameleon disappears into the the background its its goal is camouflage which is the exact opposite of what i'm talking about the goal is not camouflage the goal is calibration because if you bring your super sexy song person on a friday night into christmas dinner with your mother there it's gonna be it's not gonna work it's just not the person you want to bring to the party mm-hmm. but you want to bring you to the party so you mm-hmm. get to choose because you're familiar with all the flavors of you, you can dial up this flavor, dial down that flavor. You know, it's like you're on the soundboard of the self, dialing up, dialing down to calibrate to the situation. Why does that matter? So that you can be received and that you can be reciprocated and create flow. So it's not about disappearing and chameleoning, it's really about. Having access to the full range of you, not being governed by who you think you should be and how you should disappear into the blue suit, but rather recognizing, you know what? I need to bring my boss ass bitch into this room and you have access to her. And so you dial her up and you dial down your sentimental, tender, you know, uh, ooey gooey, juicy love bomb. Right. But then you go home and and you dial up your super tender, juicy, ooey gooey love bomb and you dial down the boss bitch. Why? Because maybe that boss bitch is not who's needed there.
0: Mm, Nice. I love that analogy. And I think it's so true for every circumstance that we go into, because a lot of people think that the boss bitch has to show up every time something goes wrong. And that's not true. You don't need to hammer a situation when something goes wrong. Sometimes it's just like, Whoa, back up the bus like what is going on here <laughs> like, yeah, and, and to it, figure and out what course. all the information is and it's way easier to get the information out of people when it's just kind of soft and compassionate and understanding than it is to come off like the bomb
1: and the core to that how you do that is by being present and cultivating awareness and those are two of the things that i think are sorely Undervalued and undertaught in today's culture. We we we're taught from the outside in so much, and I really think I I teach people and help people practice moving from the inside out. So when you're connected to yourself, you can walk into a room and you can tell who to bring. It is this the spot where I need to be compassionate and soft and listening, and that's how I'm gonna elicit the best information and know how to proceed is this the room where i need to show up and blow everybody out of the water because otherwise they won't listen to me like but you won't know which is needed unless you're paying attention you're aware and you're connected to yourself in your body at the same time
0: nice so let's go into a couple of how to's like how do you get connected to your body cuz I know a lot of people hear that and they're like, I have no clue what that means or how I do it. So let's go to kind of some tangibles on that one.
1: Absolutely. So first of all, develop a practice. It can be as simple as dancing to your favorite song for three minutes in the morning before you leave the house. The practice of of connecting to your body is a deliberate one. Maybe for you, it can be taking a walk or shaking it out or cardio or lifting weights or, you know, it it doesn't all have to be active stuff. It can be sitting still and doing a meditation where you feel your feet, you feel your knees, you go up your body from the, from the floor up, and then you, you bring your attention back down. It can just be attention-based. It's really, I don't have a single prescription because I'm very customized in how I prescribe things based on what somebody needs, And, uh, but some kind of deliberate attention on your physical experience where you're tracking sensation, whatever does that for you.
0: Nice. Love that. So we're getting into kind of feeling how we feel, knowing how, who we are when we walk into that room, calibrating what's going on in the room. Um, because you could have the same 20 people in a room you you walk out of the room 20 minutes later you walk back in again it could be totally different <laughs> that happened many times um super fun not and <laughs> sometimes it is sometimes it's not and and then kind of where do we go from there is it a matter of do we always have to be kind of extroverted do we always have to be introverted do we have to what are those values what are those kind of the essence of who you are. How do you know who you are, if you can be extroverted and you can be introverted, if you can be sociable and you can be observing? How do you define who you
1: are? Air quotes. Hmm. Such a great question. I think that's a, an individual journey for each of us. So, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't have a blanket prescription. However, what? it's safe to say We are the production, so our personalities are produced by our family of origin, our education, our if we were raised with a religion, what values we were raised with. And even if we weren't raised with a religion, what are the values we were raised with? Our political environment, where we come from, our physical location. All of all of this, there can be some epigenetics as well, so we can come in. you know, we come in with some aspects of our personality already determined uh, on an epigenetic level. It's in our DNA. So the first step to figuring out who you are is getting to know what is true to you as opposed to what is something you internalized from any of those locations. So when somebody first starts on this journey, They don't even know what their own preferences are because they were raised to have certain preferences by all the people around them and Mm -hmm. by social media and by movies and TV. And so the first part, and I call my work relationship alchemy because it really is a kind of alchemical process where you begin to look at, is this preference really mine? Did I get this from somewhere else? what's true to me? What do I really want? Most people, if you ask them what they really want, they have no idea because 90% or 99, probably percent of their desires that they think they have came from something they were taught to want. And so that's the first step to dismantling it, asking yourself what you really want. And it doesn't have to be huge. It can be walking into the kitchen, opening the fridge and asking, what do I really feel like eating right now? Not what I should eat to be a good girl, but what do I really feel like eating right now? And then giving yourself that and then asking, okay, well, what do I want now? Oh, I wanna, you know, I wanna take a walk. Okay. And then giving yourself that. And it's a process of retraining to stay connected to your own desire and to really learn what your own preferences are, not the preference of your partner that you think you should want because you want to be connected to them, not the preference of your child for the same, but really your own preference. And then, and then the next piece is how do you negotiate your preferences with the preferences of others and how do they play together and all of that. But the first step to, is to even figure out who am I beneath the who I've been taught to be? And what does that who like, dislike, desire? How much rest does she need? How much activity does she need? How much does she really wanna be social? And how much does she really wanna be quiet and, and inside? And the answers might really surprise you because we're trained to be so extroverted and you might find you need more rest than you actually realize.
0: Awesome. So how does somebody start to experiment with these things? Because I know depending on somebody's circumstances, they may be in a position where even if they just experiment with the eggs that they order for breakfast, and then the person's with them, you don't order that. You don't like that. Why are you doing that? And it becomes this really disdain experience (laughs) to be able to experiment and play. So how do you suggest that people go about that?
1: Well, for that reason, I suggest being transparent uh, that you are going to be experimenting. So if you are in a relationship or you're living with your family or or anything like that, let people know, hey, I'm doing research. I like to call it research. I like that. um, Or a game, because if you call it research or I'm playing a game, it tends to get the charge off and the judgment off from people. So it, it lifts a lot of that disdain. Uh, and you say, Hey, I'm doing research into figuring out what I really like. So you're going to see me trying a bunch of different stuff and some of it will stick and some of it won't, but I'd like you to give me space to try that stuff. How about it? You know? So you get people's buy-in to give you room to do research or room to play a game with yourself. And you might even invite them into the game. What? I'm famous with couples. But it's like, Hey, let's do some research into, you know, what we might actually want to do on a weekend versus what we think we should do because weekends are for X, Y, Z in our family, say. So you, I I love inviting uh, other people into research with me um, because you learn so much about yourself and you learn about each other.
0: Nice. I love that. And it also gives people an opportunity to not be stuck with what, with where they're at. I mean, you, you said it eloquently that it It lets go of the judgment, but people are so afraid of change that when you just suddenly change in front of them, they're like, what What are you doing and where does this leave me is their question. And it's like, it leaves you where you were five seconds (laughs) ago. you have a real concern (laughs) and i
1: want to i want to honor that because when you are changing things up so i usually work with individuals within a Mm -hmm. relationship sometimes i work with couples but more often i'm working with the with an individual in the relationship and anytime you're changing how you show up it changes the fabric Mm -hmm. so there will be a shift in the connection and that can either be scary and traumatizing and terrible, <laughs> or if you set it up well, it can be exciting and opening and research-based and curious, and, and you can stay in a space of curiosity with each other. But, but that shift is real. And so I want to acknowledge that, yes, you are changing the contract. When you When you are changing something about how you show up and what and and how let's say you articulate what you want maybe you start asking for things you've never asked before because you've been stuffing yourself in the past you start asking that's changing the contract because there's been a certain energetic contract in the relationship where you don't ask and the other person just does what they want or does what they think you want but they haven't actually checked with you right but if you start changing up that dynamic then all of a sudden that it's like a lock and key, and all of a sudden the key doesn't fit in the lock anymore, and that's very disorienting to someone if you don't uh, preframe, if you don't, uh, what's the word, safe port is the word I use, but I'm trying to use a less jargony word. If you don't let them know in advance that you're changing things up, it's very disorienting, and you will get resistance and pushback. So it behooves you, if you want to take on this experiment, if you want to research into What do I really want? And could I set up my relationships to reflect what I want? As much as I'm talking about being on the same playing field with everybody. I'm not talking about only doing what you want at everybody else's expense. I'm talking about bringing your own desires on the same playing field with others because you're finally figuring out what your desires are. It's good to let them know in advance that you're going to be playing with some different stuff and you'd like them, you know, would you be open to experimenting with me? Would you be open to researching how something different might feel and, and expanding the, the range of our connection? And I think if you preframe it like that, you are likely to get a more uh, excited or open or curious response than if you just start doing it and don't tell them in advance. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait this doesn't feel normal anymore. Mm-hmm. well and
0: we're talking about making kind of substantial changes but making the smallest changes can be super noticeable to people. like for example i knew somebody that all of a sudden had sugar in their coffee and it was like what? like who are you? everybody around them was like like you're standing up for yourself. and it's like it's sugar in the coffee people <laughs> it's not, you know But it's so much more. It's so much more. It is crazy how just understanding those little choices and what you want and standing up for that, what you want in, if it has to start with little baby steps and start with the baby steps and it becomes colossal as you move on. And and then eventually, you know, I walk in the room as somebody totally different every time and they're like, Hey, who are you now? (laughs) Hey, come have a conversation with me. Let's go find out. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> like which michelle do i get to interact with today exactly <laughs> it becomes fun right and yeah, it's, every um... now and then every now and then i'll be like oh boy you know i sure put patrick through a ride and, I, and i'll just say something like whoo and he'll say hey you know it's a good ride i like being on it and i'm like glad to hear it okay uh-huh. let's keep going right so sweet. yeah i mean because he he likes you know he likes my different flavors and so he's there for it whatever flavor i bring he's like oh fun (laughs) let's you know there's some flavors definitely he likes less than others like he doesn't really like it's not that he doesn't like but you know cranky critical flavor uh tends to not land so well (laughs) but if he's in a spacious enough place cranky critical flavor you know he elicits a a sweetness from him like oh you know you've got the cranks right and I'm like yeah I have the cranks and then we're back in playfulness again we have a very we have a lot of playfulness in our relationship and I think it's because we give each other room to be who and where we are and we understand that we're not the same every day and uh, there's a baseline of love that's not conditional upon having to show up as a certain person all the time. Nice. And
0: I find that there are different circumstances when that same behavior is safe in their mind and other ones where it's not. So for example, Absolutely. Brad loves it when I take control of situations when things aren't going the way we wanted to, you know, getting home renovation supplies. It's like, okay, go get them. Do what you got to do. Make sure that we get them on time. I don't know how you do it, but just go do it. When we're in a car driving, on the other hand, that same kind of control <laughs> is not so acceptable to him because all of a yeah. sudden so there's an immediacy there that he doesn't know how to buffer. It's like, yes. okay, can you not play bumper cars in the highway? That'd be awesome. <laughs>
1: yes. Great example. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. So who do you love to serve and support? Who's your favorite kind of clientele that you work with?
1: My favorite is really growth oriented people who have done some work. You know, I, I don't tend to work with beginners because the depth of my work uh, is such that We can really fly if they've done some work they someone who's already at a level of self-responsibility that they recognize that the world's not out to get them you know they're not like feeling victimized of course we all slip into feeling powerless sometimes me even me but if that's your default stance (laughs) uh you're probably not gonna you know it's gonna be challenging Uh, Mm. i'm gonna challenge that a lot So somebody already has some baseline of self-responsibility, they recognize that how they show up makes a difference in the experience that they get to have. And it's a growth-oriented person who's passionate about life and passionate about understanding who they are and and expanding their capacity to show up skillfully in more situations. Someone who wants to have a deeply loving and growth-oriented relationship, I find that Not all entrepreneurs, I love working with women leaders, entrepreneurs, people like that. And not all of them really care about having a great relationship. The relationship is secondary and the work is primary. And I I don't want to have to do a bunch of that education. I'll do some education of like, actually your work could actually flow a lot more smoothly and you could be more magnetic and hot at work if you put some attention at home. So I, I will do that education. But if somebody is just like, I don't care about relationship, well, they're probably not my person, <laughs> you know, because it's like you got to you got to want more love and connection and you got to want to show up more powerfully, skillfully calibrated, free you mm-hmm. in all areas of your life. I love working with that kind of person.
0: Nice. I love that. Well, and it probably comes back to my philosophy on relationships and why we get into a a personal or primary relationship. And to me, it's because we, by nature, are very lazy and we don't like to do introspection. (laughs) Whereas when we get in a relationship with somebody, they kind of bring that out in us. And in a primary relationship they kind of piss you off just enough to bring up all that crap, but not so much that they're in the doghouse. And that is a very uncomfortable position for people that don't want to do the self-development. It's like, no, I am the way I am. And, and that's just the way it is. And it's like, well, that's entertaining, but then you're going to continue to get the results that you've always gotten. As long as you're okay with that, that's fine.
1: Yeah. Beautifully said. I'm so with you. I, I, someone said, uh, I think Elizabeth Gilbert once described soulmate, like a soulmate. So we have this idea like, oh, my soulmate is someone that I'll always be in harmony with. And we just love each other. And it's this like totally romanticized, ridiculous concept, basically based on movies and TV. But the reality is a soulmate is someone who will catalyze your crap to the surface just enough, like you put it, like just enough for you to see it and and want to work with it because you love the relationship. If it's so much, you know, if they're abusive, obviously that's not what I'm talking about. But it's someone that irritates like your surface level stuff, the stuff that's standing in the way of exfoliating. You know? Yeah. <laughs> It's, I, I've often said that like relationships are like sandpaper, <laughs> you know, but the but but like sandpaper for a beautiful purpose, you know, to reveal <laughs> the real you, to reveal the love. So I have a fundamental belief that we all are love at our core and we have layers sitting over that love that are thin and thick, depending on how much trauma we experienced when we were little and depending on how much healthy relating we got to see, not all of us got to see healthy relating model, right? So we might have a lot of layers between that true love that we are and its expression in the world. And to me, the purpose of relationship and the purpose of a soulmate is to help you slough off those layers so that you, the love that you are, the truth of who you are can shine more readily and visibly with less impediment. That's what a great relationship does, And it has enough foundation of love and yumminess that you actually want to do the sloughing. Yeah,
0: I love that. So give me an example of one of your Cinderella stories of your clients.
1: Well, I had a client who was in a 28-year marriage that was on the rocks, say. Her husband was beginning to threaten divorce, and she really wanted to save the marriage. And as we worked together we really discovered that there were some aspects that her self identity her self esteem had taken a dip. And so she and I worked to help her remember who she really is. Build a backbone. She began she had been she had fallen into a people-pleasing kind of dynamic with him which he didn't respect and so mm-hmm. and she also worked she also worked part time for him. Uh, as an administrator in his office. And so there was this people pleasing thing and he just wasn't respecting her. So as as she built her backbone back up, she began saying no to some things. She began being more direct about what she wanted. She began making requests. She began holding herself differently. She remembered how awesome she was at her own job because she had her own job that she did and then she had the part-time job she did for him. And she began remembering the truth of herself. And he began complimenting her spontaneously, uh, offering to help out in the kitchen, cooking sometimes, like his whole, and every now and then he would still try to poke at her because here's the thing, he got a rise out of bugging her too. (laughs) So he would still try to get his rise uh, out of her in the old way. And she just wouldn't take the bait. So he'd be kind of poking and trying to get at her and she would just (laughs) shine it on. And so eventually that behavior dropped away. She didn't have to quote unquote school him or correct him or say, I don't want that behavior from you. She just kind of like with a dog. I mean, no, (laughs) but. You know, it's, it's okay. kind of like, you, you know, colors with. and correcting
0: are okay. Or no. I mean, like you
1: give, yeah, but you also give a treat for the behavior you like, and you kind of ignore the behavior you don't like. And eventually whoever it is you're with gets that, oh, I get the treats when, when, when I do this. So let me do more of this if they're wired correctly, right? If they're not mm-hmm. uh, abusive or narcissistic or, you know, some uh, sociopathic or whatever. <laughs> so if someone's basically mentally healthy, you know, they're going to respond to the treats, uh, and so you so anyway. All, but I want to reiterate, and and they saved their marriage is the okay. upshot. Twenty uh, eight year marriage. And so, but what I want to reiterate was we worked on her, mm-hmm. and we worked on how she showed up with him, and that dynamic shifted. I didn't have to work with him for that dynamic to shift. And as she reclaimed her sense of self and reclaimed her backbone and remembered who she was how he treated her changed. Now, I I don't, you know, that doesn't always happen. You asked me for a Cinderella story, so there it is. Sometimes what becomes clear is that the other person is not willing to change and it's time to leave. And I've Mm -hmm. facilitated people leaving who were having trouble leaving Mm -hmm. before, but got them to a strong enough sense of self that they saw that this is actually what has to happen. And, And sometimes that's what happens.
0: And sometimes that's the Cinderella story of the 21st century is, and then she stood up for herself and realized that she could start her own kingdom, which is awesome. <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, like, hey, I, got a mo- I got a
0: fairy godmother. I got some awesome mice. I got a pumpkin
1: field. What am like, I doing? Hey, I can start my own kingdom here. I love that. Exactly. And, and how amazing it is that we are at a moment of history when that's more and more possible because Absolutely. women are making more and more of their own financial decisions. They have their own money. You know, in the past, my mother was 100% dependent on my father. So even if she had wanted to leave for her, it was insurmountable to consider, well, what would I do? And how would I make an income? Well, and and stupid shit, like women weren't allowed to open
0: bank accounts. Exactly. Really hard to start a business when
1: you can't open a bank account. Not that long ago, women couldn't even have a credit card, right? So Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're talking about a particular phenomenon in in Western, you know, people might bemoan, like, yes, it's the death of civilization, but I think it's the birth of equitable civilization that we are entering into. And of course, there's going to be growing pains, uh, especially on the part of people who have benefited from the old system of being the way it was. Uh, but, you know, the- I honestly
0: think that women are better in business because we're, we get to be kind of boring after a while. Actually, it's everything's got to be this way, and the garbage got to be taken out at five, and this is going to be, and the dog's got to be fed, and the poop's going to be, and the guys are so much more fun as parents. I mean, the whole idea of them coming up with these nine ways of babysitting their kids is just to me hilarious and fun I would have way rather have my dad is the stay at home and my mom going to work I think she would have been happier he would have been happier we would have been happier I think it would have worked out really well actually so I have no I issue with that, that. personally because yeah we well, would have yeah. gone horseback riding and canoeing all
1: day we'd have been, <laughs> been having a blast you know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that, because there's there's been a real trend toward more and more stay-at-home dads doing it by choice, right? Mm-hmm. So it used to be that you might have a stay-at-home dad because they lost their job, or they're disabled, or, or ill, or something like that, and so that's why they're home. But uh, over the last several years, there's been, not even pre-COVID, uh, there's been a trend where up to, I think in 2016, 24% of stay at home dads were choosing to stay at home because it was the best choice for the family. And I love seeing that kind of freedom for both genders. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Patrick is not wired to be out here entrepreneuring it like I do. And so he has his own interests. He does, uh, he's, training to be a, he would love to turn pro as a golfer. I support us financially because I love being out here, entrepreneuring. And he ends up picking up a lot more of the dog walking. He picks up more of the cooking. And I respect that about him and he loves it. He's really good at it. And he has his own dreams that I love to encourage and support, but it doesn't look like the traditional, he, I mean, he's an engineer. He worked for a satellite company that did the solar arrays for satellites that go into space like he's not just some slump over here you know <laughs> and by choice we've crafted a life that accesses each of our strengths and supports each of our strengths and we mutually support one another's dreams and strengths and I'm all for that regardless of gender whatever gender you are is getting to know what's my strength what's my passion what what could I do till the cows come home, even if I never got paid for it? And how do I set my life up to support that? And who am I in partnership with? And how do we create that for and with each other, regardless of gender?
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, and it, to me, it's never been about the gender; it's been about the expectations. So I have seen so many families where they're academics and they have a really athletic kid, and it's like, okay, you need to stay home. You need to read a book you need to get book smart. You need to, you know, we want those marks up and then you get the jocular families the where, and they both could have been Olympians and they're and the kids are wanting to sit at home and read a book. And it's like, you need to get out. You need to get some exercise. <laughs> it's was like, you were just born in the wrong family. Apparently
1: <laughs> so there's nothing well, wrong the with those right expectations. To teach you how to push back. Like, you know, sometimes we're born into the family that makes us push back and, mm-hmm. and have to really defend our desire uh, yeah. And to me, and
0: it's okay, uh, understanding that if that's what you're going through, and that's what you're fighting, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not gender bias. It's not anything. It's just, you were raised in a certain expectation where people thought, hey, if you grow up and you act like me, I've done my job well. And it's yeah. just not true. <laughs> well,
1: like, that was the model of parenting, was. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I was raised with. And I've had to do a ton of reclaiming in my adult life of my quirkiness, my dreaminess, my intuition, my creativity. I wasn't raised to value creativity as much as diligence. And I've really had to work hard to reclaim that because I'm a deeply creative person. And when I was trying to fit myself into the box and be a good girl, it just, uh, I I was dying inside.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's time
1: to reclaim people.
0: So what okay. might somebody at home be thinking, what stumbling blocks might they be trying to overcome that they think, oh my God, Maria Elizabeth,
1: I need you so badly. Well, a great place to start is to assess really what's working well right now, because we all have aspects of our lives and our relationships that work great. And we all have aspects that could be improved. And so the first step is really gaining awareness and recognizing where what what, I, what have I perhaps been shoving under the rug and not really being willing to look at? And am I willing to look at that now? Not because uh, I'm grasping or gripping at something, but because I'm actually ready for more, I'm ready to expand. I want to expand and have more of what I want in my relationship and, and my life. So that would be where someone is and, to support someone who's ready to take that first look and and see, well, what what do I really need to work on? I don't even know where to start. I've created a simple assessment that has five areas of your relationship and by extension your life uh, for you to assess yourself on. It takes about four minutes and really beginning with getting that awareness, that's where all change begins. You got to see it to heal it. You got to see it to change it. Right. So take my assessment. It's called, it's located at relationshipalchemyquiz.com. Go there. And it's again, it's about four minutes. There's five different areas. It's your relationship to self. How's your communication? Uh, how does your relationship play with the rest of your life? How's your passion and fun and, and, You'll, you'll start to get clear both on what's working great and you know you can keep doing that and where you wanna put your attention because a lot of us don't know where to start. It's like, I can feel something's off but I don't really know what, what to start with. Well, take this assessment, you'll know where to start. And then if you're interested in working with me, if you feel like I'm someone who you could connect with and I could be supportive to you, then I'd love to talk with you.
0: I nice. love that. So go to relationshipalchemyquiz.com and of course, let her know that you heard from her first at the little blue pill for business.com. <laughs> awesome. So I love that. Thank you. And I was going to ask how they get a hold of you. So I have to ask you this now. At what point in life did you know that you were special, kind of crazy enough to think that you
1: could become an entrepreneur? When I was twenty three <laughs> i i was uh, I became a massage therapist after college and I was working at a massage center, which was a great first move they they booked all the appointments i got to I was already pretty good, but I got to really just up my skill by rubbing body after body after body without having to work you know worry about the rent or getting people in the door that it was an established practice and after About a year of that, I then went to work at a really hot, uh, trendy health club um, that I'd opened called Frogs Gym in San Diego. If anybody's from Solana Beach or San Diego, you might remember Frogs in the early 90s. It was super hot. So I went over there and I was running the massage program over there. And over time, I just really, I built up this amazing clientele. And And I just thought, you know, what if I got to set my own hours and what if I got to like, because I'm interested in lots of things like I love working with people and I love doing lots of other stuff and so I wanted to be able to have a little more flexibility and so by 1992. uh, I went out on my own, and I rented an office from somebody else's uh, friend of mine who was an acupuncturist, we shared the space and I've never looked back. (laughs) I've been self employed since 92. And it's just been so great to allow my work life to shift and uh, change and reflect the growth that I'm doing all along the way. Uh, I, and I feel really fortunate. I, I never, I just never kind of got the corporate blanket put on me. Uh, and I started individuating, but part of it too was Tony Robbins was my client, uh, my massage client. And he let me, he invited me to do all his programs. So here I am in my early 20s, going through all of Tony's stuff. Like, I, I firewalked a few times. Like, he brought me to Namali, to his resort in Fiji, to work on his guests. I trained somebody there to do my So I got to have these experiences very early in my career. And I got to have this teacher, this voice in my life that was all about doing what you want, being clear, you know, connecting with people. All of the things that Tony teaches to, uh, so I got that infusion really early. So that was the other part of it. I, I yeah, I, I got lucky like that. Um,
0: nice. I love it. Well, you've been very well behaved today. Uh, so we we may have to bring you on again. Learned. Any last words for our peeps today?
1: Well, the thing I always love to say is to stay curious. I feel like if you can cultivate, if we can each cultivate an attitude of curiosity when things happen that we're excited about and when things happen that suck, it's like, hmm, this sucks. How could I respond here? What quality is it asking me to develop? What might be a different way to interpret this situation than the first interpretation? It's always the first interpretation that's usually the most limited and that comes out of our conditioning. So by staying curious in the face of your first interpretations of events, people's behavior, uh, your own head, (laughs) but staying curious allows you to build in that a little bit of room to then have agency to do something different, to change, to try something new, to embark on a research that might expand your vision, that might change your relationship for the better, that might bring you a client in a new way who just vibes with you, you know, which is always ideal instead of like the, oh, I better be buttoned up and let me hope they like me. It's like, you know, staying curious about yourself, showing up as that, and then seeing who comes.
0: Nice, love that peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, your mistress in business, helping you get it up and keep it up. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app so that I can help you get it up when you need me. We love having you here. Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.